Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 35. My name is Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, podcasting. Ben Walker founded Fuzz Productions, which has produced which produced many award-winning podcasts, including which has produced many award-winning podcasts, including the Sony award-winning Do the Right Thing, the Loaded Laughter award-winning Pappy's Flaps Share Slam Down, and the Chortle Award-winning Richard Herring's As It Occurs to Me. We got him on to talk about what it takes to make an award-winning podcast, what it takes to win awards as a podcast, how to make money from podcasting, if it's even possible to live off of the money that you make from podcasting, and everything in between. It's a really interesting chat, and I really enjoyed chatting podcasts with anyone, really, but he is so learned and so knowledgeable about it. He's got a lot of experience in the BBC producing radio shows, so we got into comparisons about that and how much effort it takes to put out a radio show versus a podcast and what the pros and cons are there. It's a really useful episode for anyone who wants to start a podcast but isn't sure where to start, how hard it is, what equipment you need, what audiences you can expect to get, all that kind of stuff. So if you know anyone that wants to start a podcast but isn't sure where to start or what they can get out of it, this is probably the best thing to send them, although I am biased on that. If you're enjoying the show, please do remember to subscribe. Also, if you have a minute, if you could rate it in iTunes, that'd be really useful. And we get into that in the episode about how it is useful, but how we're not 100% sure if it is as useful as it could be. So I won't repeat it here. Have a little listen. So without any more delays, this is Ben Walker. So I got started podcasting in I think it was 2009. It was whenever Richard Herring started, uh, as it occurs to me. Um, one of the main cast of that is Dan Tetzel, uh, as it occurs to me. And he, I know Dan of old, we went to the same uni. And I was sort of, uh, he was in a sketch group called Club Seals. And I sort of used to help promote them and was sort of vaguely involved with them at uh, university. Um, and anyway, Dan was involved in Richard Herring's show and uh, knew that they needed a producer and I had recently finished working full-time at the uh, uh, BBC Radio Comedy Department and was freelancing and was looking to take on interesting projects. And so Dan approached me and sort of uh, asked if I wanted to get involved, and I was sort of intrigued at the 
the ethos of it actually it was it was richard's ethos for that podcast which really got me in, interested because he not only set himself a ridiculous challenge of writing a full script every week uh, but also really wanted it to go out what's and all he didn't want any editing he just wanted it recorded well and then sort of bosh out the next day was uh, was what he wanted which was quite refreshing um because my background before that had been in a producer in the BBC Radio Comedy Department, but also a, a radio editor. I didn't, I've done an awful lot of editing of radio comedy programmes. Um, and so it was fun to be producing a show, or really facilitating a recording of a show in the case of As It Occurs To Me. There was a bit of sort of chatting through the script beforehand, but really I was there just to make sure it was recorded well. And then not having to edit it afterwards was quite, quite refreshing. So I got... Um, into podcasts with as it occurs to me and then that sort of went on for a few series and in the course of that i a few months into that i was chatting to pappies about doing a panel show with them and uh also was chatting to danielle ward about doing a panel show with her because she had a an idea called dilemma which she'd been pitching to radio four which at the time they hadn't decided they were going to go for and I said well if they don't they're mad and I'd love to make it as a podcast and um and eventually they did but what I'd realized in the meantime chatting to Danielle was actually the idea of uh what is the right thing to do was a was a lot bigger than just moral dilemmas so her radio force dilemma is all about moral dilemmas whereas do the right thing it's the panel show i devised with her which i sort of still make is often what's the right practical thing to do in this situation we tend to avoid moral dilemmas so um so yeah i sort of got into it that way and i was uh, getting those two going when i was still freelancing so i sort of you know was in charge of my own time and could put proper time into getting them started and uh and i suppose at the time i was in a place to edit them fairly quickly afterwards and uh and yeah they've, they've been great fun to do uh slightly trickier to do now insofar as i now work full-time i have a, a family now whereas i had a much smaller family before so it's harder to fit in the editing time but but we 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 still record them and we still get them out eventually so yeah okay and I do, like I said to you before, I, this is just me doing everything on this one. And I know most of my friends who do podcasts have either them and a friend who do it, or like you said, just put it out warts and all, and that's basically it. Yeah. Do you want to just quickly explain what a producer actually does? So, for example, uh, you were saying before that you didn't have to edit on that one. So, like, what was left to the role with that one? Or is that a producer and editor role? Are they separate things? Uh, well, I suppose I'd compare it all probably to roles on radio and uh so I used to produce, I used to work, as I said, for the BBC Radio Comedy Department and I used to produce shows for Radio 4 in the main, occasionally Radio 2. Um, I worked on things like the Now Show, the Vote Now Show, a series called Look Away Now, which was a sports sketch show. And on those, the role of producer was to look over the whole thing, get the, you know... Uh, in it, get the idea pitched and get the network to buy it and um and then get the performers and the writers and uh in radio very much i mean you might have a script editor involved in the product in the, in the project but you'd be very hands-on with the script as well 
and you'd arrange the recording and make sure everyone was in place to get it made. Uh, and then you'd tend to work with an editor in uh, in post-production. And I think that's healthy because, you know, you're getting another brain. You're getting someone else who's sort of coming to it fresh and might have a different take from you. However, because I had worked as an editor for the radio comedy department before I became a producer there, I was often, and this is mostly down to my own megalomania, um, I'd often sort of edit my own shows and depending on the show, sometimes depending on the show, that was the right thing to do. And sometimes I'd work with another editor, especially on topical shows or something with a quick turnaround. It was always, you always needed to work with someone else. Anyway, with that background, I think that's why working on Richard Herring's As It Occurs to Me was so refreshing. And it's the same deal, really, with uh, his Leicester Square Theatre podcast, which I also produce. Rahul Esteba. which I, um, yeah, which I also produce. Not all of them, because I can't make all of them, but I produce. I produced the first few series of them and still do that occasionally now. Mm. That's very much a sort of a record it and put it out mm. uh, ethos. Although, of course, in that one, uh, we will occasionally edit things out if we're asked to by the guest and things like that. Mm. Um, but when I was coming up with Flatshare Slam Down and Do the Right Thing, Flatshare Slam Down is the one I make with Pappy's panel show. Uh, sh- should should I assume people know what these are? Should I sort of explain what they are? Well, the, uh, again, uh, sorry. So uh, on my no, no, it's fine. On uh, every podcast, I have a uh, show notes, so they can link to everything. But if you want to explain what they are, that's fine. They'll they'll all be linked to in the show notes, which will be at uh, simonkane.co.uk. Shame, shameless plug. Carry on. No, no, fine. <laughs> uh, well, just very briefly, uh, Pappy's uh, Pappy's are a great three man sketch group. Um, I'd known them for a while. I had an idea for a that they would be great in a panel show set up with Matthew in charge and Ben and Tom being sort of warring team captains and met them. We discussed a few ideas and Flat Chess Landon came out of that. And the premise is that uh, Matthew, Ben and Tom share a flat. Matthew's the landlord. Uh, every episode they get into a squabble over some chore. Who's going to answer the door? Who's going to clean the cooker? Who's going to change the recycling bin whatever it is and that is the premise for the show so every show we come up with a different themed round sort of tenuously linked to the theme of the week then we have a round called flat games which is different every time where we just often just work out a pun based on a on, a, on an existing game and and a way of sort of bastardizing that game and uh, and making it our own and then we have some regular rounds, uh, Beef Brothers and uh, Quick Fire Round. Um, that's that one. Do the Right Thing is a panel show where two teams of comedians try and work out the right thing to do. It's a very chatty show. Uh, it's all sort of everything we prepare for that is about spurring on the conversation. I told you I'd waffle. I'm waffling now. Mm. Anyway, to sort of tie up all of uh, all of what I'm saying, when I came to do, having worked on Richard Herring's As It Occurs To Me, and it wasn't edited, I was sort of thinking, this is great. But I've got these panel show ideas, which it'll be really good to make them not as radio shows. They were never really devised with radio in mind at all. They were always devised as, this would be a great podcast. Mm. Um, and uh, and I thought, well, I'm someone who edits all the time. You know, I, I edit radio shows all the time. That would be a good skill to bring to these podcasts. And it would mean that I can sort of record loads of great stuff and, you know... It, it, Every show's different, but these shows were made to be edited mm. in different ways, actually, because Flat Chair Slam Down, literally with Flat Chair Slam Down, I'll go through the rushes and I will just 
cut out the bits that don't work as well and um and, and there isn't you know it's all i mean the gigs are huge fun but there'll always be bits which are which are sort of in the moment maybe or refer to something before the gig or are quite visual and don't necessarily come across so with fat chest landown we'll normally record between 75 and 90 minutes and i'll inevitably cut it back to about 45 minutes but that's really natural wastage i'm not looking to cut it down to that size and you know that's cutting out gaps half of that really yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. um uh and then do the right thing the model with that is to really try and get it down towards half an hour i'm not strict i don't have to hit 30 minutes bang on but i'm i'm trying with that to get it and i'll get it down usually around 35 minutes um but um uh but the role, but the role of to go back to the question, which was years ago, <laughs> the role of producer in both of those is I'm involved uh, with Flatchest Lamb. Now I meet with Pappies uh, ahead of the recordings, and we work out what our themes are going to be, work out some ideas for the games, um, talk about who our guests, who we want to get on as guests. Um, closer to the recording, me and Matthew will work on the script together. Matthew will do the the you know the bulk of the work or certainly all most of the funny work some of the lamer uh gag questions and the quick fire round might occasionally be mine um but we'll we'll confer on the script and obviously i'll sort out and you know i'll market the gig i do all you know i'll sort out getting the word out there um and then do the right thing i will do an awful lot of research really with that i'll conferring with danielle i'll sort of pull out here we haven't done scenarios like these we could look at these i'll find a sort of a short list of agony art problems for our second round which is agony uh it's usually me who'll find i'll i'll it'll often be me finding and talking to the expert guests for the ask the expert round and do the right thing um but all conferring closely with danielle uh, and she again will then I'll sort of arrange the script with the uh, I don't know we did one the other day where the scenario was how to avoid a wolf attack so I will have researched the answers in that case and then I'll have left Daniel a note saying so we need the scenario to be how to avoid a wolf attack and it needs to be set here you know it can't be it needs to be set in a wilderness or they need to have a backpack you know I'll sort of put those sort of parameters in there and then she'll make it funny it's sort of more obvious when you've heard the show a couple of times yes I I think so um and and then at the moment, yes, I do all the editing afterwards, and that can take some time. And it's and it's where I used to be able to take a day to do it. It's now sort of fitted in over various evenings when, when my wife goes to bed. So actually, just at the moment, I'm looking to see how I can delegate some of those tasks a bit more. Actually, mm. as it happens, but that's that, that's changing now. See, that's uh, one of the most interesting things you said there was when you said you were trying to get uh, the show to half an hour. Yeah. For me, the plus point of a podcast is it can be any length. And I know a lot of... So I think I talked to Stuart Goldsmith about how he tries to keep them to an hour, for example. Mm. So he has like some sort of consistency. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think Richard Herring does the same thing where the Rehalistapur, they are within an hour, right? But I... No. Herring will just go on. Herring, Herring, there'll be an hour if... <laughs> he records two a night. The first one will tend to be an hour because we'll know we have to have an interval and get mm. the second guest on. But they have run for an hour and forty-five sometimes. So, uh, so no, certainly Richard isn't. 
adhering to any strict time limit. But the reason is, we do the right thing. I just thought it suited it better. It's a more traditional... Look, first of all, with a radio show, you edit it. If you, uh, a half-hour radio show on Radio 4 is 28 minutes long, and I might be slightly out of date, but that meant... What that meant was, when I edited the shows, they had to last between 27.45 and 27.55, I think, at the time. You know, you had a window of 10 seconds, and your show had to be that length. I'm not doing that with Do the Right Thing. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, if I'm under 40 minutes, I'll tend to be happy. But, uh, but genuinely, it suits the show. I'll, uh, but, uh, I mean, first of all, they naturally slice down to roughly that length. But, you know, I listen to them at, I listen to the long edit, say, at where it's 42 minutes long. And you'll listen to it, and you'll know that there's four, four minutes dotted here and there that isn't as strong or feels like it's um, slightly lower paced or lower intensity than, than what's around it. And, and it just feels, you know, I think this will be better if I nip that out. I mean, I mean, and that's... That's my decision, and that's what I bring to it, if you know what I mean. But it, but it is, there was a call a while, you know, and, and, a, and an entirely valid call a while ago of, Ben, these are taking absolutely ages to get out there. Could you not just release the the rushes and put them out? But they would be, they're, they're less, the show, the model of the show is for it to be an edited show. That is what the model is, and it works like that. And I, And personally, I don't think it would work as well letting it all hang out, in a sense. I mean, I... Uh, I, I mean, I'm participating in one now, but you edit these, right? Uh, I, you know, the. I think in the wrong hands, a show like As It Occurs to Me or Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, and I dare say there's plenty of people out there who, who you know, for whom it isn't their taste. But I think uh, Richard's particularly skilled at what he did with both those podcasts, and um, and you know, there are podcasts I've listened to in the past where people haven't necessarily known. You know where they've released podcasts unedited, and they haven't had the awareness to sort of be editing as they go along mentally before they speak. Do you know what I mean? They just—I mean, I'm I'm well aware there will be people out there saying that some of these podcasts ramble on and on. But you know, that's just the model to do the right thing, and it, mm. and it suits it, I think. No, that's co- no. I'm, well, the only reason I was asking is because, like you said, it's your BBC background that kind of gives you that trying to keep it to a rough. Uh, estimation of time but for uh, I mean I know and I know some people they don't edit their podcast and they put them out and they mm. could be two hours long and yeah I've, I've had I mean when I first started I think my first podcast was just under three hours long and I was and I edited that down believe it or not and I if, I think if I was going to go back and do it again I would probably have not spent as long a time with that guest and then would have edited or put it in two parts yeah but it's one of those learning curves yeah but I suppose the advantage of the internet for me is that there is no you know, it's it's them slotting into their lives rather than sitting down and watching a half hour program. Yes. Well, you know what? I think that's true, and this isn't the reason I do it at all. But I would say that a half hour show or a forty minute show is. I I I tend to when I'm sort of working on the audio side of it, if you like, like the way I sort of mix it and compress it and master it, uh, for want of a better word. Um, I'm very much thinking of someone sitting on a train or a bus in the sense that I um, compress the audio in them quite a lot, so that even when people are speaking quietly, it's right in people's ears, hopefully not to an ear-bleeding level, and please do tweet me if uh, if that's the case. But I'm very much trying to think in those terms, and I think, really, I'm hoping, not hoping, but I, but I hope these podcasts 
suitable for people to listen to on their commute and things like that. And I suppose a half hour, 40 minute show is possibly something they're more likely to be able to sort of swallow in one go, if you know what I mean. But, uh, okay. um, yeah, I but, but even that, but uh, that's sort of back engineering slightly. And, yeah. I, and it wasn't because it wasn't because I came from a BBC radio background that I thought the shows must be this, this length. But I was at the time doing a lot of editing. So I was a quick editor mm. and I sort of had a, and I, a lot of the editing I did was panel shows. I edited the news quiz for a long, long time. So I sort of had a good feel, I think, for editing conversational shows. Uh, I mean, the only editing I do now is the podcasts. But um, So I sort of had that and I really enjoyed doing As It Occurs To Me where there was no editing. But that was... Uh, but but first of all, that was me working on Richard's show and I had some ideas with other people for my for the, my own shows to originate myself. Right. And I just thought, well, what's the right model for this? And And I thought... I mean, goodness knows, if you've been to any TV recordings of panel shows... Uh, you'll know they last for, they can last for hours, and it's not necessarily a jolly <laughs> just no. sort of two-hour recording. So, um, and that's not the case with Dilla, I think, because it's very good fun, and there's none of the, you know, people can speak freely when they're recording, do the right thing, and there's no there's no commissioners there to impress or anything like that. It's just we're fun people. We know we can have a fun chat, and mm. let's see how that goes. But um, but you still they just naturally fall. To that mm. side. I mean, I, I seem to remember. In fact, I was looking through some old scripts the other day. I seem to remember that our second round is called Agony, and it's and it starts with we find a genuine agony aunt column from some newspaper or magazine around the world, and the first part of the round is we read that problem out. Uh, this is usually a funny problem in some way. It's got some amazing funny detail in it, um, and the panel have to try and work out... Well, they A, have to say what the right advice is, and B, they're supposedly trying to work out what advice the Agony Aunt gave. And that's how the round starts. And then we do some Agony... Then we Agony Aunt some problems from the audience on the night. Um, but um, but we initially we originally did two of those every time, and we have an Ask the Expert round where we get a, an expert on somebody who, who works in an interesting field. You know, We have a John Ronson on Psychopaths, and we've had... Um, I should be doing more selling of these podcasts, shouldn't yeah. I? Uh, we've had like, bomb disposal experts. We've had uh, um, uh, policemen. We've had the uh, curator of flies at the Natural History Museum. We've had all sorts of genuine expert guests or people doing interesting jobs on. And the aim of that round is the panel have to try and get to know them and then second guess what they would do in some heightened scenarios based on their area of work. And apparently we used to do three of them, but, uh, but now we only do two. So... Even on the nights, the shows have slimmed down in terms of, I think we've, we quickly realised that actually, as long as we pick the right topics, we're throwing up subjects for conversation and, and funny people are very good at maintaining funny conversations. Yeah. And so it slimmed down from that. We didn't need any more than that on the night. And then that's just, it naturally edits down to there. And then I will set myself the task of trying to get it down to around 30, 35 minutes, just because I think it makes for a stronger show. Mm. Um yeah, I, I get what you mean about that because after a few episodes of mine, I started getting emails from comedians, you know, saying they love it, but they um, they're listening to it in the car or they're listening to it on the commute. So no, not on the commute. So they're listening to it on the car or at their desk at work. Yeah, and uh, they wanted the volume higher. Or I think at the time, my first three or four episodes, I hadn't mixed it well, so the left mic was coming out the left side and the right mic was coming out the right oh, side, yeah. just because I hadn't. Like the Beatles. Yes. Yeah. Like the Beatles, but not anywhere near as 
probably yeah. well received. Yeah. Um, but of course, I was learning, and I'd, I'd never mixed anything before. And um, now I thankfully have a very I have, um, uh, or, or, um, Adobe Audition I use oh, yeah. for that, and it's really good for getting that out. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask because um, consistency is really important. I mean, Richard Herring's podcasts have those sort of pullback questions, and the, so not pullback questions. Um, have emergency, emergency questions, questions yeah. and uh, taglines and, and things to get people involved and people sort of uh, half expect some stuff in it. And so I was wondering if uh, tips-wise from you, would you say having a consistency in length and a consistency in format help with getting more audience or with developing the audience? That's a good question. Uh, I think I personally prefer, and I think something that As It Occurs to Me didn't do, I think As It Occurs to Me, you really had to get on board with the first episode and listen through because there were recurring jokes in that. I mean, it was very, very funny if you knew where you were, but there was a lot of sort of self-referencing mm. what re- referencing referencing what had happened before. And sure, you could join in later on, but there, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah. There was quite there was a there was a bit of a barrier to get past to get into the world. Whereas, uh, as you say in Rahalastapa, Rahalastapa, there are emergency questions, but they stand each time so uh back in the first series he used to ask every comedian or every male comedian if they'd ever tried to suck their own cock uh as a recurring question uh sorry mum if you're listening to this and uh she won't be i mean she might be i mean i don't know she doesn't she's a really big listener yeah okay okay, fine (laughs) um and um and that's fine because you you can if you're only listening if you only ever tune into the stephen fry episode then that question makes sense in in and of itself um and I think there are recurring factors in uh, Do the Right Thing and Pappy's Flat Chair Slam Down, but I think every episode can sort of stand and fall on its own, if you know what I mean. So uh, I was in Do the Right Thing, there are certain things we not often, not deliberately play on, but will come up. So Michael Legg, who's one of the regular team captains, is vegan and very um, uh, effusively so. And uh, Margaret Campbell-Smith, who's the other team captain, is uh, Catholic. Um, And it's not like we target those things, but they will often come up. Uh, And what I did find at one point was that we started talking about... I don't know, I can't think of an example, but the fact that Michael... There'd be something we were talking about, and Michael would come in and make a joke from a sort of a vegan standpoint that's that's the wrong way to say it but the fact that michael would be was vegan the conversation would turn that way without having said michael's a vegan or without michael saying i'm a vegan or anything like that and i was quite keen just to make sure that going forward we always made sure the audience were up to speed with that so i think i recorded danielle saying michael you're a vegan uh so that i always had that in the back pocket and 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 i sort of had a word with them and we do you know what i mean so so that we're not so that I know People who, who repeat listeners um, know it and know them, but that anyone tuning in for the first time can immediately be up to speed. And uh, and perhaps like to slam down. I mean, the 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 recurring factors are all in the amazing sort of performances and the relationship of pappies with one another and that sort of mm. sparring and the way they feed off one another. And I think that stands alone. I mean, you know, if you've listened from the start, you'll know that. <laughs> uh, bad puns and uh, and there's a joke now. There's a, the, each episode starts with a sketch. I mean, all, um, all these all these podcasts I make are recorded in front of an audience. But Flat Chair Slam Down, the podcast starts with a sketch which we record 
uh, used well, which uh, Ben from Pappy's records uh, in his home studio, um, and the sketch is really there just to set up the theme of the episode, so recycling or mm. cleaning the cooker or whatever it is. And um, we used to record these and play these out live to the audience. <laughs> and because you've got an audience there who are there for a live gig and they've just seen Pappy's warm up the room in a very live manner, suddenly playing in a minute and a half <laughs> of pre-recorded sketch, yeah. it, you know, everyone sort of sat and politely listened. And I'm sure enjoyed it, but sort of chuckled inwardly or, yeah. or smiled. Um, and so it's quickly become this thing of, uh, you know, the sketch that we start each show with a with a with a terrible sketch no one likes so at our live gigs now that's what they'll say and we and we they just say the theme this week is this and we just go straight into the show and then we bolt the sketch on afterwards <clears throat> so regular listeners will know that there's this sketch and then we go into a live show i suppose new listeners might come to that and go oh i thought this was a live show for the first two minutes and then we get into it but it's that it, it i think they're i think they're all pretty accessible shows the the way they're listed on iTunes, but certainly on the British Comedy Guide, which hosts them, it's always the most recent episode first. And I think people should just be able to go in and listen to the the top episode and work their way down, rather than have to think they start at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, f- for me, I try and make every episode as evergreen as possible. Mm. But I also, so for example, uh, I'll ask this question now, but I was going to wait till later, because yeah. it was a question um, uh, a while ago. I never can remember the number of the episode, but I always say something like, so... About six months ago, I interviewed David Quantic about uh, TV and radio, and he was talking about how um, radio is a lot quicker to produce because there's obviously less uh, of it to deal with and there's more easy to edit. But also, when you do podcasts, it means that you, because you've got no barrier to distribution, Mm. you can just put it straight out. And I was going to ask what you think that impact is going to have on the future of, for example, mainstream TV and and traditional uh, radio, because at the moment, we could sit down here, we could you know, write out a sketch and put it up straight onto a yeah. podcast host and get it out there immediately. Whereas, like you said, uh, was it Danielle? She had to like go to the BBC4 people. Oh, with Diana. To... Yeah, well. Oh, um, sorry, Diana, yeah. Uh, well, yes, I mean, there's a, in, in TV and radio, I mean, I work in TV development is my day job. I mean, and yes, there's a very strong, stringent commissioning process for TV and radio because any channel or any broadcaster wants to make sure you know ideas fit their brief and are right for the channel and things like that um and that certainly has meant you know in the heat of the moment there have been ideas i've thought these are brilliant ideas and the channel haven't bought them and i thought well that is i I can't really how do i explain that to the writer who brought that to me or you know because i can't you know i don't agree with that decision um uh, but then you know you you begin to appreciate the other side of the sheer weight of things they've got to to choose between, and also uh, you know you see how they sort of pigeonhole things being like each other when they're not. And although you don't agree with that, you can understand how they get to that process. Mm. And it certainly is true that online you can just put something out yourself. The 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 gaping difference between the two is that you get paid for one, and you don't necessarily get paid for the other. Um, and so, yes, I don't know. I think it's really exciting in terms of content because I think it means that there's loads of stuff out there to choose from, especially podcasting versus radio. I mean, I love radio and there's some brilliant radio made, but podcasting has really freed up people just to get some ideas down. I mean, there there are, you know, there are certain radio shows which would be an awful lot of work to make as a podcast, but then people are doing that. So, 
you know, I think it's really, um, I mean, a panel show is not simple. It's not two people chat to one another. It's, but I was lucky enough to sort of have all the kit and, mm. or have most of the kit and also be an editor at the time. So, um, but, uh, I don't know. I think it's really exciting in terms of content. Um, I, I am less clear exactly how it's going to go in terms of building careers in terms of the online product itself making money i'm not quite sure how that's going to work but it's such a um there's so many people doing it and there's so much good stuff being made and there are so many young people especially who are choosing to consume tv and radio through their computers or, or phones as opposed to through the tv or the radio that i think it's it's not going to go away and it's really exciting to see where it goes you know i couldn't i couldn't make a career out of making podcasts if you know what i mean that's a weird thing to say you might want to strike that that doesn't necessarily mean anything but no no i know, know what you mean it's um i've just i've just uh, finished writing a book uh called how to make a living by working for free hmm. and it's uh it's all about building audiences yep. using free content but it's not making your living from the free content it's trying to get people interested in what you are and what you do and then no it's interesting you say that because actually of course if a comedian's running their own podcast uh, then I can totally see it. I mean, it can be a really useful way to build an audience who will then come and see your shows and you tour, who will uh, buy your online specials or, or whatever it whatever it is you're doing. You're building an audience. In my case, I don't really have anything to sell in that sense. I'm not a com- I'm not a stand up comedian. You can probably tell I'm not very funny. <laughs> um, I'm going to make myself laugh. Uh, uh, and um, That's what most comedians do, to be yeah. I got into it genuinely because I was in, excited to work with the people I was working with, really liked the ideas, and uh, really wanted to make stuff. Uh, to be honest, that sounds a bit sort of um, uh, childish, but that's genuinely it. I thought these were great ideas. I thought I could do a good job of making them, and I really enjoy the craft of making a program. I really do. And, um, uh, and yes, so that's that's why i got into it and the logic for uh, someone like richard herring is he's built up this big online community around his all these things he gives away for free and from what, what i understand that means a lot more people go and see his tour shows and a lot of people buy his dvds and books mm. and he can make a living from that if you see what i mean and, and i totally buy into that um i can't sit down and look too hard at why i'm continuing to do this because i don't have that there isn't that justification for it. It's purely I'm making stuff I really believe in and think's good, and 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 I'm so grateful as found an audience who seem to really like it, and um, and so that's why I do it. And also, I suppose in reference to your last question, I'm genuinely excited to see what happens to online content and whether someone can work out a way of making it pay for itself in a way, and then then hopefully I'll be well-placed to, to, to get involved at that point. But I haven't got a solution to that myself. Well, yeah, I mean, I, um, I uh, interviewed Richard for the book, and he told me that uh, he gives away something like 60 or 70% of his work now uh, and makes more money than he's ever made, which to me, when... So, this was, so I started writing the book two years ago, and I was doing the podcast for just over a year. And when I found out that he has done it that way around, I was like, oh makes sense you need mm. to and also this is around the time so i don't know if you're aware of do you know patreon the website oh yes i am and i'm i'm 
yes i am interested in patreon the website it's it's a very interesting one because in terms of funding models well hang on you finish your point and if you're going to ask me about funding then then i then i then then i'll answer (laughs) well i might as well now Uh, no yeah um well the thing is uh, for me i think um so like you said uh, in traditional models you uh, get the show commissioned by a certain person, they then make it and you get paid. And that's, I mean, obviously that's a rough guide for it, but that's the yeah. way that works. With uh, independently produced stuff, you put it up, you try and build an audience for it, and then you ask the audience to support you. And mm. if they like it enough, they hopefully do. And if they don't like, well, even if they like it enough and they can't support you that way, they support you, like you said, other ways. Patreon, I think online content is going back to the arts patronage. I think instead of it being though one person like a king who like commissions a painting or whatever it's crowdsourcing patronage that's going to be the way forward and i did want to get your opinion on uh the badge system richard herring's got you know the whole i paid a pound badges and uh when you think it's a good idea to actually even start asking for financial compensation for like whether it's a certain number of episodes or whether it's a certain core audience or whether it's a certain size of audience well okay i'm not too i'm I'm not really a part of how Richard chooses to fund his podcasts, if you see what I mean. But uh, I can give you a sort of a potted understanding, as far as I know, which Richard might well uh, refute further down the line. But um, Richard was always doing live... Well, I mean, he does plenty of podcasts that aren't live, but the ones I've been involved with have always been at the Leicester Square Theatre. They've always sold pretty well. And so there was money coming in from ticket sales, nothing like a radio show budget or anything like that, Mm. but some money. Um, and then um, Chris from Go Faster Stripe got involved. He's a good person to chat. I'm getting him on. Yeah, <laughs> I spoke and, to him yesterday. <laughs> uh, and so then Chris from Go Faster Stripe um, got involved. He's known Richard for a long time, and they decided to start filming them. And I think, if memory serves, that's when the I paid a pound badges were brought into play mm-hmm. because filming them cost. So they so as well as. Um, uh, so how did they do it to start with? So obviously the money on the night, on the door, was some money coming in. Hmm. But as soon as they were filming them, oh, were they initially? They were initially charging for the videos. I think that's right. And the, doing the badges, so they were, they were getting the videos made and then charging people to access them uh, through the Go Faster Strike website, I think. And then they also had these I paid a pound badges, which I think worked okay. But then. They decided to go the Kickstarter. I probably missed out some stages here, but then they decided to go the Kickstarter model for the most recent two series, mm-hmm. which has worked very well, I think. Yep. Um, so, so that's interesting. So, in terms of um, funding my own podcasts, though, though, because I haven't done any, <laughs> uh, they're, they're, we've never done a um, a donate button. We've never done a Kickstarter. You mean for do the right thing? Do the right thing or Papaslatcha slam down? Right. We charge money on the nights uh, for people to come along and see them, like any gig. Uh, I think, I don't know if this still happens, I think they occasionally appear on British Airways. Inter- In fact, if somebody could tell me, I'd be very interested. I think they appear on British Airways international flights under their Best of British banner, where they have a load of comedy podcasts. And I think they have sort of truncated episodes of Do the Right Thing and Pappy Splash Their Slam Down on there, uh, for which we got sort of a nominal fee. Yeah, they do the same for Comedians Comedian podcasts. Yeah. Uh, you know, we just get a nominal fee for that, a one-off. Um, and that's all the money coming in. Now, the reason I never did a donate, donate button is neither of these are weekly shows. 
and and any regular listeners will let will will tell you that you know if if four or five come out in a year then we're doing well it's 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 <laughs> really it's it's since i've been working full time and i've now got mm. more children it's just uh the time to edit them primarily is is what is is what holds things up so would you say a tip is don't have children you want to be good at podcasting no but you know just have an understanding uh partner and uh and don't need as much sleep as uh, other people what could be a thing i don't know it's 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 definitely tricky which is why i'm looking to try and uh devolve is that the word delegate that's delegate. the word some some of the bits and bobs but again i'm such a megalomaniac I mean, editing's the killer I really want to find someone who can yep. work with me on the editing, but I'm such a megalomaniac, it's quite tricky. I know that So feeling. we'll see. Um, I'd sort of need someone who I knew was going to do make exactly the same decisions as me, and then it'd be fine. Anyway, uh, I, I'm trying to work. I'm working towards that system because that will speed things up. And actually, uh, we're changing things flat, as of next year. I don't know when this is going out, but 2016, the plan is Flatshare Slamdown is going to come out every month on the first of the month. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> Uh, we've got a Christmas special coming out. We're recording Christmas specials of both at the start of December, which I'm going to get out before Christmas, he said, foolishly. Um, and then <laughs> Flash Sunday is going to come out monthly next year uh, and do the right thing. I'll hopefully we'll get the series out in the spring of, all, of the present ones. But it's um, but that's the lag, is the editing. But anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm digressing again. But in terms of... So I never thought the donate button was fair... Because shows like, I think Answer Me This have one, I think. I might be wrong. I think Bugle had one, certainly. The but they were regular weekly shows coming out every week. And you knew you were donating money. You could mm. you'd immediately get a tangible sort of, oh, yes, the show is going out. So, so then Kickstarter was a model that was popular at the time. And I didn't think that was quite right. That's sort of because, I think with panel shows, this is my feeling on it anyway. Other people might disagree. But I, I think... Everyone needs to know where they stand in terms of being paid. And I think, you know, I looked at it and, you know, you start going through a process of, well, if you pay this person the right amount, then you've got to pay this person the right amount. And you want it to be fair across the board. And very quickly, you're getting up towards a radio budget. Right. And, you know, a half hour on Radio 4 is over 11 grand. And uh, so, I mean, it's not... Okay, it's not quite that high, but you're getting yeah. into the thousands because yeah. if you, you know, because you, if you want to pay people properly, the other way to do it is for everyone to know where they stand in that no one's really getting anything for it. So I've never taken me myself or any of the regulars have never been paid for either of those podcasts. We've never taken a payment for it. Um, we all have lots of drinks on the night uh, and uh, and that sort of thing, but we've never taken any payment for it. And our guests. Um, you know, get don't do it for the the money. If you know what I mean, we we don't really pay people properly at all. Um, but I, you know, I'm always very upfront about that, and I explain the situation and say it's good fun, and we reach a lot of listeners, and and it would be a good thing to do. And and mm. thankfully, no one's ever everyone's always been very uh, accommodating about that because I know how you know I know how in slightly different circumstances being asked to do stuff for free is very annoying in this world. But anyway, that's sort of where. They are, and I sort of think the middle ground between those two is slightly dodgy territory because the middle ground between those two is that you're 
saying we're going to pay you for this but we're not going to pay you enough or we're going to be paying a strange sort of halfway house the, amount yeah. uh, i'm possibly not explaining that very well but you know suddenly it's not just if you're going to pay the guests properly then it's unfair not to be paying everyone on the panel the yeah. same amount if you're doing that then i want to be paid because yeah, i'm yeah, yeah. you know what i mean but also i'm producing it but then the editing takes an age yeah and you know and so it's how do you work it out like per hour or per pull factor by the comedian because they might have their audience that bring people down on the night or, oh well, you know i mean, I mean? Like, all kinds you'd of stuff always have to keep it sort of straight down the line and everyone gets paid the same but but even so yeah. it's so 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 yes when i thought about kickstarter i was i was thinking well actually we'd have to ask for quite a lot for a series and I'm not sure, you know, and everyone would be asking, the fans of the show would be saying, well, hang on, you've done this for nothing up to now, and fine, we'd be happy to donate you some cash, but goodness me, this is a lot. And do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but Patreon's an interesting one, because that can work by, you can say, you could say this much per month, but you can also mm. say this much per episode, and yeah. things like that. And that seems that there might be something there we could look at, because... At least with that, even if you're not getting Patreoned up to the amount you need to pay everyone properly, at least yeah. then you can sort of um, do a bit more long-term planning on it. I, I have the same issue with this one. So I have a Patreon, and I think it gets about $46 at the moment per episode, right. which is it's enough for like my travel here, for example, mm. and like, you know... I. It's not. It doesn't cover it basically. Uh, like, as, if if you were to even put it as minimum wage, you're not yeah. covering anything. But I get enough out of it that I enjoy what I'm doing, and it gives me sort of a small budget to know what I'm doing future kind of thing. And it sort of makes me feel a little bit like there's definitely going to be. I think it's 13 patrons, 13 people downloading it because if they're paid for it, they're more likely yeah, to listen yeah, to it. Yeah, of course. Which I know sounds ridiculous, but you think wow, these 13 people are going to really enjoy this. And so that kind of keeps me going when I'm late into the night editing like you, you know, do. Um, for me, I mean, I, a few people have said to do it per month, but like, what if I, what if, for example, I can't get anything out in a month because I have a family crisis or something happens, yeah, you yeah. know, I do it per episode. And for me, that, that model works the best because that way I feel like I'm working towards a, a payment for a thing that I'm doing. And, but I know what you mean. It, for me, I feel awkward. I feel less awkward asking for money since I've started doing more festivals because I do free festivals and I'm used to now at the end of the show saying I've provided you with an hour worth of entertainment in the form of my show. Yeah. If you've enjoyed it, please pay um, because I can't eat otherwise. Like that's literally the the functionality. But I can imagine if you don't do because you don't you're not a comedian you don't really ask for money in any other way other than your job. No. So I can imagine that for you that's even more awkward you know because we get plenty of people coming to the gigs so we do get money coming into the gigs which exceeds what we pay in the gigs but it's still yeah you never know what that's going to be and it's still not yeah. a significant uh, uh, amount of cash in terms of the number of people involved so we have these little sort of pots growing which we one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, with Pappies, we shot a video. There was one of their jingles, I Wikipedia'd Windows, which was always stuck in our heads. And we created a music video for that, which was great fun. Just small budget, just just Mm. creating more online content and you know i'd love to try and work out a way of filming them in a way that is in a way that mirrors what i hope the podcast is that it's lo-fi but done well so it's recorded in a much more lo-fi way than a radio show but it sounds good you can listen to it and the show's got good content in it i'm trying to i say i'm trying to I keep thinking I really must get around to that. I'd love to try and find a way to film them, uh, but without having to have a massive room and without having to get in all sorts of different lights and without having massive cameras even. But I, you know, I need to pick someone's brains about that at, a, at another point. But but to, but to get something that you know, because they're panel shows and everyone's static, a number of cameras, but but small enough. <laughs> this is a pipe dream. Um, but in a way that we can then edit and cut between the cameras yeah. and things like that. So you know, that's what I'd, that that would be a fun thing to do. And uh, even if it's just one episode of each, we did like that. I think that would be valuable. Not least because I think YouTube's a lot more shareable than SoundCloud is. It just tends to be that people will share a YouTube link and people will click on it and go, "Yeah, you share a podcast." And I think people have to be of a mindset to sort of really want to listen to a podcast to. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like you have to go through this some is, more steps. Yeah, th- th- it brings me on quite neatly to another question that's going on. Uh, if you, in in my Facebook group, we we're actually discussing whether I should be putting these out as uh, YouTube videos, but with just an image of the podcast, you know, like um, the, the, what's it called? Avatar of the yeah. podcast. Because I don't record, obviously I don't, you, you're here now, you know, I don't video record them because most of my guests don't want to be video recorded let alone audio recorded half yeah. the time so i thought it would be a great idea because like you said it's more shareable it's more discoverable and youtube is a search engine people don't think of it like that but it is totally yeah, a search engine yeah. um same as itunes but you don't think of it like that so i mean you're but you're saying have you had better luck then with sort of getting more discoverability from youtube no i don't think so we've got a few visual things on youtube but they've never been the main focus. And so, no, we get we get fine numbers as podcasts, which far exceed the hits our YouTube videos have had. But it's more, I sort of think, I mean, this might not work because it would be too long compared to, you know, people share three-minute YouTube videos or minute-long YouTube videos. Uh, so it's possibly just vanity. <laughs> but I think it'd be fun to film them anyway, just so we have a record as we grow old and wrinkly of what we looked like when we were doing these shows as well as what we sounded like. I think that would be fun. I mean, we're we're very driven by fun making these shows and and, and making no bones about that. Anyway, uh, 
But I also think that there's... I do think, based on absolutely no evidence, that there is a sort of finite audience of podcast listeners in the in the UK. Sure, it grows slowly. And and things like um Serial would uh would have would have brought some new pe- new people to podcasting. But I but I sort of think people who listen to BBC radio podcasts only those. I don't really yeah. count them if you know what I mean. I mean yeah. sort of people delving into independent podcasting. I think it's a slightly finite audience because I think you have to ask people to do quite a lot to get to podcasting in a way. And so, you know, I think, you know, you've got to, oh, what, I've got to open iTunes. Oh, what, I've got to go to the store. I've got to look for podcasts. I've got to, oh, you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it, I know it is simple, but also it's tricky. It's also a black hole because, like, the minute you open it up, you're just, you're just thrown loads yeah. of icons and you're like, oh, I'll click that one. Oh, but people have said this one's not as good as that one or, or like, this one's got 20 more reviews yeah. than that one. Um, I know what you mean by that. It's just, you know, I think it's why, you know, why back in the dawn of broadcasting time they made schedules and put things in order so that you would find things and learn. Mm. Anyway, um, I just think that YouTube is more shareable. I have no idea if the videos we've made on YouTube have brought any new people to the podcast. I suspect, actually, they've just been there for people who know the podcast to go, oh, yeah, this is fun. Mm. Um, but I still think, actually, being able to sort of film the shows this will probably never happen but i think it would be a fun thing to do you know really primarily so we have a visual record of what the shows Mm. are like and were like but i think that would be of interest to some people on you that would be that would be of interest to some list people who know the shows Mm. and youtube would probably be the place to share that with them but i think potentially okay you you take some minute two minute clips out the shows and sort of share them around you never know you never know Mm. Goodness knows, I've I've made a few videos for online, and you know, one of them got you know two hundred fifty thousand hits. N- not for these podcasts, uh, quite quickly. Uh, other ones have taken a long time and have got some, and other ones which are great have never got over a couple of hundred. You know, it's it's I think it's quite hard to predict. In fact, one thing I'd say across not just my YouTube video activity, but also uh, the podcast is, I sort of as you probably understand i sort of take an awful lot of the work around the sides on with these and probably the one area where i feel i'm lacking most is in promoting the podcasts really i think i'd love to you know i'd love to try and work out the best way to get it to the places where people who don't know already might go oh yeah this is something that would be interesting um but it's the one thing, you know, I take it on and I'll you know, we get reviews here and there and all this sort of thing. And um, again, some of that some of that money in that pot maybe we should use to put towards promotion of these things a bit more. But yeah, that's uh, that's the one area of my jack of all trades, which is probably a trade I should give up. No, I, I think every, well, I know at least five podcasts I can think of that I've spoken to in preparation yeah. for this interview who have the same problem. We, we're all looking at ways to try and get more listeners. Yeah. And in fact, one of the submitted questions, which I want to edit, but I'm going to tell you the exact question that was asked, was realistically, what, are, what audience size should people expect? And I kind of want to edit that to, like, how do you manage your expectations on people listening to it? Because obviously it will depend on the content, it will depend on the type of show, it will depend on who's on it. Do you know, it'll, it'll all change. I mean, when I spoke to Richard Herring 
uh, he said that I can't remember which he, he wouldn't tell me which episode it was but he told me one of them had hit over 100,000 and he said it wasn't the uh, Stephen Fry episode or something like that and I was like Okay, uh, because obviously that was the big one that like got a reveal in it that I mean, got I'm, loads of press. I'm sure that must have got over a hundred thousand now. But yes. um, um, well, the figures are notoriously unreliable and with podcasts because how can anyone know if somebody's listened through to something? Yes, uh, the figures I am given or I find out. I sort of round up or down. <laughs> yeah. uh, for do the right thing, Papa Thatcher's land down to about 40,000 mm. is the number I'm told. But again, I don't know how many of those people actually listen to the whole yeah, thing or course. not. Um, the model back in the day before I understood Twitter was that we get comedian guests on each time and they'll tweet about the show mm. and then loads of people find the show. And of course, in reality... I mean, the, the, all the comedians we have on are lovely and incredibly supportive. Mm. But we're lucky if they tweet about the show a couple of times yeah. and those vanish down people's timelines very quickly. Yeah, Twitter, so, Twitter isn't the place for that, really. Yeah, well, no, quite. Um, I mean, we do a bit of other stuff. But um, but that was before I understood Twitter. <laughs> I think that was before yeah. I had my own Twitter account and sort of went, oh, went, oh no, oh, well. Um, I think we got up to around 40,000 fairly quickly and we sort of maintained. But I, I don't even know if that's... You know, I, I keep that figure in my head because I like to cling to that and think, yeah, oh, yeah. it's great we're making these things it's going out to these number of people. I suppose um, we do them live and I've definitely seen our live audiences grow and tickets sell quickly and we're able to sort of fill out our live shows with not a huge amount of promotion really like tweeting facebook uh timeout are always incredibly supportive uh chortle will always list us do you know what i mean like uh it's not much more than that and we tend to do quite well um so that's a good sign i hope yeah and people who come along tend to know the podcast and so you get a good sort of feedback from that um uh but realistically i don't know i mean look um all the shows i work on um so Pappy's already had a following, so that will have uh, helped found us some listeners yeah. initially. And even if our guests aren't tweeting about the show every time, the fact we have a succession of guests on, we've had some great people on, um, sort of has added to a sort of cumulative sense of um, uh, momentum there. Uh, do the right thing. Actually, funnily enough, um, obviously there was no... Obviously, Michael, Margaret, Danielle all had their own followings, but it was that was less focused than mm. just saying it's Pappy's show. Mm. Um, but that got up to the same levels, and we have the same guests and things there. And I think I think sometimes the expert guests really catch the imagination with that. Yeah. So, um, and I should say, they both are hosted on the British Comedy Guide, and uh, um, Mark there does a is always incredibly supportive with these, and will. Uh, nudge and promote them i believe in the podcasts especially in the newsletters and, and through twitter so um but yeah you know i get given these numbers uh and you sort of go oh good but it's always especially with these series because they take especially with uh Papi and do the right thing because they can be absolutely ages between the series coming out i mean i think the last the last series of do the right thing i put out in uh, july to august this year 2015 the one before that was January to February 2014. So 
almost 18 months between mm. them. So I put it out going, well, I put it out in the lead up to the Edinburgh Festival, which is never a great time to get comedy PR. Um, but it seems to have, people seem to have noticed and, and recognised it there. I suppose the people who engage with it on Twitter and keep talking about it, I suppose that's probably only tens of people, if you know what I mean. But it feels like there's a little community there. Yeah, I think, I think so to get nerdy for a minute, mm. um, average figures. Yeah. So if, if I was to pick 10 people on the street yeah. and I was to try and work out their average height, it would be around the middle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But if you took the average height of 6 billion people, like everyone in the world, yeah. you would not get the middle figure. It wouldn't quite work out that way because there's too many variables involved. Okay. So... Well, that's that's. Uh, the, I'm the, not sure that's mathematically true. No, no, no. But, no, <laughs> but if you extrapolate it out into, okay, let me explain it differently because I'm going to edit that out now. <laughs> yeah. Make me sound like an idiot. Uh, no, 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 no. no, no. Well, no, because what I'm trying to say is, online there are too many variables for you to work out what's actually, especially for something independently produced, for you to work out what is the best method of doing and how it gets discovered because everyone's discovering it in a different way. Yeah. So as a result, if you took if you took ten people and you said, how did you discover the podcast? And eight of them said iTunes you'd think iTunes is the best method. But if you took all 40,000 of those people and you said, what were the methods that you discovered the mm. thing, it would probably split out slightly differently, which would mean that you would never quite know the best way of promoting it because you might have then saturated your entire audience on people that are going to ever find it on iTunes. Yep. And so the 5% of people that found it through Chortle, for example, are going to be you know, the people you should target. But you'll think, well, most people find it from iTunes, so I'll plug it on iTunes more. Yeah, it's tricky because I think the places that will plug this, mm. Chortle of you know, I think I think Daniel and Michael have done their sort of perfect playlists and things in support mm. of the series. Um, British Comedy Guide. Uh, I think actually the people who read those are probably the people who are into podcasts already. If you know what I mean, I think mm. that's sort of playing to a to a home crowd of people who are potentially already uh, not necessarily well disposed to listen to these podcasts, yeah. but you know, uh, podcast um, savvy. Yes, yeah. and and. British comedy at this level savvy um, so yeah how do you bubble beyond that I don't know iTunes have also been quite supportive they, they'll always give us a little you know they've featured us a few times and um, had us on their banners and things which is always really helpful I think I, mean, I have no idea what effect it has that's but, you the know. thing I, I, so I got featured in uh, iTunes new and noteworthy for a couple of months when yeah. I first started and then they put me on like a banner thing a while ago and my downloads didn't change and I've spoken to I won't say who it is because they sort of told me in confidence, so I don't Mm. want to say. But another podcaster who's doing very well in the category they're in, but they said that they they didn't see any change when they got featured. And so I don't know whether it's it's just the time of the year or or enough people had found it or there was another thing being promoted that was slightly, you know what I mean? You just don't know. Genuinely don't know. I mean, we've had a Do the Right Thing especially has been reviewed twice. Once in The Guardian, once in The Observer. I mean, it's been reviewed more than twice, but uh, in, in The Guardian and it's... And it's Sunday Sister, The Observer. Um, we had a very nice review in, in, in both, actually. Um, but God knows if that mm. drives any listeners our way. But uh, it's it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I genuinely don't know, but I, but I, but I cling to those figures because they were given yeah. to me and I go, oh, well, that's good. It's nice to think that we're reaching that number of people. I, just, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. No, totally. Um, 
And and for me, like you said, the, creating a community online, mm. I think is key. And I think that's why, for example, Patreon is really useful because you're, those are the they're sort of the core base of people that yeah. you want to keep in contact with. And then I have a Facebook group which you should join. Uh, I have a Facebook group where we, are, you know, I'm constantly sharing. So. For example, when you were coming on the day before, I put a thing up that said, what do you want to ask him? And anyone who's in that group can ask any, you know, anything yeah. they want to ask so that, you know, it's not just me doing the questioning, but also because they might have something that I've not even thought of. And in, in, like you said, the more brains you get into the room, the better. Yes, that's true. It's again, it's one of those things that slightly changed in my circumstances. So I started do, since I started doing them, which is that mm. uh, there are proper things I could be doing, like being permanently. Uh, engage in the community which is important you know online doing things but you know full-time job and it's just tricky luckily the these podcasts seem to make a bit of noise and that seems to keep us in people's sight even when we disappear for 18 months so uh, hopefully anyway Mm. and i was going to ask you uh but you again might not know the answer to this, so it's perfectly fine. Um, what value or, or what sway reviews, downloads, uh, even the avatar image of podcasts have on the charts, but also in getting people sort of excited about them? I should probably be more across this sort of thing, but I don't obsessively check this sort of thing, and I certainly don't, you know, change the avatar and then look at how it affects numbers. I think both have. For- Tars have changed over time. Oh, maybe did the right thing, hasn't? I can't remember. Um, no, it has. Definitely has. Um, <laughs> but just uh, with both of them, I've sort of uh, been very, very lucky to have illustrators willing to work with us just because they're fans of the show, really. Uh, Flat Chess Lamb Now, and we had a sort of a thing where every episode is we do the get the artwork from a different illustrator. Um, and one of those I then asked to sort of help me out with do the right thing. And so we have, so we, our avatars have changed for both recently. And I think they're both cleaner, more immediately recognizable images, both small and large, if you know what I mean. Mm. But I haven't seen what effect that has. I mean, I think that's just common sense in terms of making your, you know, making your brand stand out. What a phrase to say, but you know what I mean. That yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, what were the other factors? Uh, 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 reviews, reviews on iTunes or any other platform. Uh, I genuinely don't know what effect they have on numbers. I I think I haven't checked in a long time actually, but I think our reviews for both. I should stress I'm mostly talking about do the right thing and Pepper Swatch Sound mm-hmm. because I run them, whereas Richard's yeah. ones I'm sort of on the uh, team. has to help out yeah. on the team. Yeah. yeah. Um. I suspect we're around sort of four stars ish, so I think we've always had a fairly positive sort of number of stars. I suppose if I'm looking for a new podcast on iTunes, which doesn't happen that often, but I suppose a star rating would, uh, if I hadn't already been told by someone go and check out this podcast, I suppose a star rating might affect whether I choose to to check it out. Um, uh, but again, that's an organic process, those reviews, and, and quite... Ha- I mean, I, I actually see iTunes reviews, if anything, and I don't think about this too hard, but it, I'm always, whether they're good or bad reviews, especially with Do The Right Thing, which didn't go out for 18 months, I was always very happy to see people bothering to go back there and say, where is this one star? And, <laughs> or, I hate this, I'm glad it's gone, one star. You know, even that, yeah. knowing that people were still bothering to come and... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, visit once in a while and, and uh, w- was a good sign I thought um, reviews avatars what else was on the list uh, reviews avatars uh, download numbers 
I presume because the thing is, this is the thing: the no one really knows the formula for iTunes charts, for example. No, but you saw, and, and like obviously, you know, if you get downloaded loads, it's probably going to have an impact. If you yep. get reviewed loads, it's probably going to have an impact. But it's just interesting to know individually, podcast-wise. So if you have an audience of, if we just use that figure for now, the mm-hmm. forty thousand mark, if you, you know, if you're getting that. Because obviously, also the speed of downloads probably makes a massive difference. So if you put out one episode in a day and it got 40,000 downloads, it might not be, you know, for the rest of the week in the chart, but it would shoot straight up for some yeah. reason. And I just wondered where you'd be, if you've been monitoring that or whether you had any tips or hints for anyone who wants to start a podcast. You won't be surprised to hear that I haven't been monitoring if it's not really what <laughs> I do. Um, I, from, anecdotally, it would appear to me that... Um, not the, the the algorithm might treat shows that are regular like weekly the algorithm might favor them a little bit and also um new shows because both do the right thing perhaps I just said now when we first started them got into the charts on iTunes and ever since then they've just been bubbling under do you know what i mean yeah. so i mean i don't know i have no idea what the algorithm is but i suspect you know, we got a number of people who maybe subscribed at that point, and mm. then they're not then counted as new listeners when you can. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so, but somehow, I, I genuinely don't know. Mm. But um, you know, it's it, uh, and all that, and having said that, it's also the case that somebody will tweet me and say, "Hey, look what's in the iTunes chart," and it'd be completely mm. random, and I'll be like, "Well, why on earth is that there now?" And it's sort yeah. of okay. I don't know. I'm not even sure if iTunes is. It's certainly important, but it's, you know, SoundCloud seems to be shared as, as much now. In a way, I'll often see SoundCloud links as much as I will iTunes links. Um, yeah, you use SoundCloud quite a lot for all the podcasts. And I, I mean, I use Podbean. I wondered if there was a reason for... Cause- uh, I'm very lucky that it is hosted by the British Comedy Guide because they I basically send them an MP3, the artwork, and the blurb, and some tags and then they put it all together for me because they have so many podcasts hosted mm. on their thing I think they have a they're all on SoundCloud and they have a sort of rhythm to it so yep. I'm afraid when it comes to that I'm, I've am i I've always been very grateful that I haven't really been involved in the actual technical mm. publishing of the podcast to SoundCloud or they're hosting me on the site I feel lucky in that way I've just had to concentrate on making the show if you know what I mean I can imagine that's quite nice yeah um, okay, and like like we said, most people do podcasts just like you said for the fun of it yep. and for anything that comes out of the yep. other end of it. What's the best thing that's come out of your podcasting experience that obviously isn't like a financial thing? It's like just an opportunity, maybe. Or oh well, I mean, it's as I said earlier, it's genuinely great to feel that. I mean, this is again a naff comment, but it's true. Genuinely great to feel that there are people out there who really love the show that is just you know even if just one tweet saying this is great or one message on facebook saying really enjoyed that it's it's great to know that you're making so many people like um i really enjoy you know we get some great guests on and i like meeting them the plan was always hey i'll do these shows we'll get the guests on i'll get to meet them have a chat to them but actually no at the recordings especially since we now record do the right thing and Pappy Slatches Land Down we tend to record them together on the same night so we do these monster gigs so I'm basically running around like an idiot so the only people I'll ever get to speak to at any length are the people who've stuck around at the end for, for a drink but um, uh, but we've had some great uh, 
comedian guests on the shows um and richard herring shows as well you know we've had some amazing people on Rehalustaba, um uh, the expert guests i really enjoy meeting because i'm usually i'm usually the one who has these big long conversations on the phone with the expert guests trying to explain what the round is and do the right thing <laughs> and trying to say look so i need to work out two scenarios based perhaps based on things that have happened to you or might happen in your line of work and you'll be there we had a we did a recording the other day where we had a butler on who was lovely lovely guy and i think but Butler was a really interesting area for the panel they could really get their teeth into. But trying to work out scenarios with him was very tricky because, of course, uh, one of the key tenets of being a butler is being having total discretion. Uh, and, and, you know, so he wasn't about to sort of tell me, you know, disasters that had happened yeah. while he was in the employ of X or Y. I mean, we made it work, but it, but they, they can be quite... Mm. Actually, the expert, you know, I'll... I mean, God bless Twitter. I'll, I'll, I'll essentially approach strangers via Twitter and say, "Hi, could I DM you and ask you a thing?" and um, and then we'll get in, you know, have a bit of a DM chat, a bit of an email chat, and then turn into a phone call where I'll, you know, reassure them I'm not insane and <laughs> chat to them and sort of gauge how I think they're going to be on the mic. Uh, so the phone call is important, mm. but then we're chatting about the um, and inevitably that first phone call, I'll explain what I need in terms of scenarios, and I'll, the phone line will go quiet and. We'll both agree to go away and have a think and get back yeah. in touch, and we'll have another long phone call. Yeah. Um, but it's—I mean—that's hard work, but it's good fun, and they're interesting people, uh, and and great, and 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 it's fantastic when you have someone who isn't a comedian, but who is very interesting, good at talking, happy to be on mic, and then that round really zings. I think sometimes I really like it in that round where. The comedians might disagree, but I genuinely like it in that round where the expert is so interesting that the panel, you know, actually listens to them for a bit. It's mm. it, it's good. I mean, it's, you know, there's never a joke far away, but it's uh, but I really enjoy that. Um, but beyond that, um, I don't know. The joy is in the making of them, really. I it, you know, it's wrong to say I'm frustrated. I can't get them out more quickly. It's just life, but. Uh, you know they're 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 great fun to do. Um, you know we were, we Pappy's won a loaded laughter award. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's something to be proud of or ashamed of. Um, well, I was going to ask about the awards because I I got told I think the Sony Awards aren't they the audience vote or something or are they uh, loaded laughter award was an audience vote. Chortle Awards I think are an audience vote. So yeah. we've been nominated for a few of them. Uh, Herring has won won a, won a few of them now. Um, the Sony Awards, no, that's a panel of judges. But we right. we got um, do the right thing when a when a bronze award for best internet show, which is no mean feat for an indie podcast. And Rahalaspa um, uh, Rahalaspa won a bronze award. Um, but those those awards sadly are discontinued now, which is a which is a shame. But you know, yeah, no, I mean, because I'm yeah, going to say no. it's a shame actually you sort of felt a sense of duty to enter it for an award and you'd cough up some money to enter it and you'd sort of think, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know, you sort of do them out of a sense of duty and you sort of in, you sort of enjoy it slightly, but it's slightly weird as well. I mean, mm. we're certainly not making the shows to win awards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's odd. I mean, I think the Chortle one still exists. Chortle awards still exist, yeah. Um, but for me, because for me the interesting part is, um, so there, like you said, I don't, I wouldn't make something for an award, and I think if you're if you're making something for an award, you're not 
making it for the right reason necessarily. Yeah, of um, and I mean, that's the same with everything. So if I made a show and I was doing it for a specific award, it's like, you know, what you do. And if, and if you can make something for an award like that, it's too formulaic for an award. It has to be more subjective than that, especially for something. I think also it's a pathway to madness. How on earth do you second guess <laughs> what, what, what an award wants in a way? Yeah. Um, the closest I came was the Rahalustapa Rahalustapa that got nominated that that won a bronze. We did for that one make a sort of a, a highlights of you know six or seven clips from mm. a load of interviews to put together to sort of show that. So that was some work we put into that. But it wasn't so much about well, what will they want in the awards. It was about showing the number of people we've had on is a is a is an important part of this. Mm submission if you like yeah i mean it I, I don't even know how the the awards work i assume you just put your name forward and then they pick five of the best ones they think and then you go to audience vote uh uh they're all different Ra- uh, uh, uh sony radio awards or the radio academy awards as they became which no longer exist you had to pay an entry fee and choose to put yourself forward mm. for chortle awards nominations come out of the blue loaded laughter i think nominations come out of the blue god that was a long time ago uh, it's all really weird. It's all, like, it is. You know, it is strange. Yeah. And I'm not. I, I think there are other awards and things we could enter, but I don't tend to bother with that. No, that's fair enough. Um, I was going to ask if it makes a difference to your download numbers or if it makes a difference <laughs> to your thing, but surely I'm not going. Surely we've been speaking long enough I've, now for you to realise. I've learned I have my lesson. No idea. <laughs> I've learned my lesson on that one. No, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Um, well, I tell you what, I've got. Uh, one sec, two more questions to okay. go, and then we can and we can wrap up. Sure. Um, so we were saying beforehand you were commenting on the fact that I use a Zoom H4n yes. as my uh, recording equipment and a lot of people I think are put off by starting a podcast because they think you know they look at something like maybe Realistapa Realistapa mm. or or you know um do yep. the right thing and and they think you know it's got a producer it's got a it's affiliated with British comedy guide it's got you know loads of you know big guests coming on and yep. they sort of get put off by the fact that it looks like it's got so much more production value than it. I mean not that it doesn't have production value but it's not like you said you know the 11 grand bbc <laughs> 4 show or whatever yeah um what what advice would you give someone who maybe wants to start a podcast but is but is probably looking at it from a wrong perspective because they're not thinking of it as a DIY project they're thinking of it as a radio show oh maybe. yes I see well um, yes well I mean the tech side the Zoom H4n I'm sure there are probably others out there now I got mine a few years ago but it it is a portable recorder where I mean we're both talking into a microphone if you chose to you could easily record four tracks and, ha- and get mm-hmm. the ambient sound as well. Um, it's pretty cheap. I did, that for, cheap. The, I did um, that for the live show. Yeah, because yeah, you get the audience on yeah. that. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, f- I forget how much I paid for mine, but they're compared to like a Tascam or something like that, they're pretty mm. cheap, like a couple hundred pounds max, probably less now, right? I think mine's 107, 280. Yeah. Yeah. But they're great. Yeah. They really are good. And they're so, you know, they look sort of plasticky and stuff. They're, in my experience, hard wearing. I've never had a problem with it. You can do it with batteries. You can have a power pack. They're just really adaptable and flexible. And so that's great for any podcast where there's just two of you talking. You don't even necessarily, depending on the room you're in, you don't even necessarily need to have two mics together. You know, just experiment with acoustics until you're happy with it. But, you know, a couple of mics, that helps as well. If you're doing it in front of an audience with the Zoom, two of you, there's two additional mics on the machine that you can record as two extra tracks so you can get some audience sound. It's just so user-friendly. Um, so that's a great bit of kit. Um, for my panel shows, 
that's the device I record onto. It is more complicated for my panel shows. Everyone on the panel has a mic. I have separate mics up for the audience. They all feed into my mixing desk. Uh, on my mixing desk, I'm able to play out everything but the audience recording to the PA, house PA, uh, and then I'm a, then I'm able to record that same mix for the PA plus the audience sound onto my Zoom H4n. So it's a bit more of an... I, I basically wheel this heavy suitcase to all my podcast gigs, which has all the kit I need in it. Um, but even that, you know... It, oh, and okay, that is more complex, but it's not like it's some sort of amazing digital recorder or anything like that. It's uh, The Zoom h one is great. Um, what I would say, uh, but you may disagree, um, is I would say it's definitely worth editing what you record or listening back to it certainly before you put it out i think although i think richard's great at what he does i think it's richard do you know uh, richard herring you know i think he's got an audience who know what he does and they buy into that yeah. and all that sort of thing I, I i genuinely think um you can really improve a show in in post mm. just by you know pruning out the bits that are less i mean i, mean, I expect by the time people get to this bit of this podcast the podcast will only be three minutes long because you'll have cut all the uh, all the waffle but no <laughs> i'm I, sure uh, this one's going out yeah I mean, fine <laughs> but it but it genuinely i think factor in the idea of giving it a listen and an edit oh yeah and there's loads of like i mean i i, I use a thing called pro tools which is uh, a, a, a pro audio thing but there's loads of free mm. freeware um editing stuff out there um so it doesn't have to be you, know, you don't have to sort of nip out every er and um. It's just mm. in terms of the content, just give it a good listen and you know, and make sure it's tip top. But that's fairly obvious, isn't it? I, I you know, um, I don't, I tend to listen to it through, write down the the timestamps of like when I think I need to edit stuff out, yeah. and then go through and edit that out, and then listen to it one more time yeah. to to then do the show notes or whatever, yeah. or send it over to like to the guest and let them have a listen to it before I do the show notes because otherwise I've got to do the show notes twice and that's just a pain in the ass. Yes, understood. Mm. Um, so it's... Um, yeah, and in terms of, you know, the model of my shows is they are recorded live in front of my audience and we do get guests on mm. and that's just the model for them. Um, but, you know, I think if you put them out, you don't... You know, they're then there. Until you take them down, they're there for all mm. to find, you know, and uh, it's... Um, you know the the art of getting them noticed online is a dark art I don't understand. So anyone has the potential to sort of reach out to people online if they. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I wouldn't be. I I, I personally would always be content led. If you have mm. a great idea, then you know the recorder and bits and bobs shouldn't be a. I mean, who am I to say what money people can spend? But yeah. but the, but it's pretty easy to get a good recorder for not too much money yeah the cost of kit has really come down yeah. and you can sort of like like i said you know this was not that most the most expensive recorder out there i mean the mics were pretty expensive because they're like mm. the road you know thingamajigs yep. but yeah i mean a few hundred quid you could probably get quite a good setup i i just i'm always telling people to start like just if you want to start just start even record it on your phone for the first episode just to yeah. do a pilot episode i think um calling colin's Collings and Herrin, I think they used to just record that directly into their laptop through the laptop's built-in mic, I think. Mm. Um, I think definitely get the content down. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I can I can get more tech geek about it and say, you know, when you edit it, 
try and fiddle around with whatever compressor there is in your thing and just try and compress it down a bit and that's like sounds like a scary thing but it's really just get it open have a have a have a fiddle with it really and, and find you know it's just something which can add i think it's that thing of being able to hear on the bus that's what a compressor helps you with it just squeezes all the dynamic range of the sound from the from the quietest sounds to the to the loudest shouts squeezes mm. them all much closer to one another um so that so that you're not finding yourself wincing when someone shouts or having to listen extra especially hard with your fingers pushing the headphones into your ears for the for the quiet bits but that's all that's all available online like for me oh I, yeah yeah i i googled it i, I was like adobe audition how to because someone said to me they sent me a message an email that just said you know do you know about this you know method of doing it they weren't patronizing or anything like that they were just like i just don't think you're doing it at the moment if you are here's another you know tutorial yeah. for how you can do it better and and it's i like you said all the content's out there for free anyway so why not make it better but don't let any of that be a stumbling block to just getting stuff out there because you'll mm. work out how to make it sound better as you go Mm. You know, and uh, I don't know why I went up at the end of that sentence, but I did. Just to make my um, edit hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, if it comes to it, you can always eventually remove the episodes which didn't sound mm. great, so great or something like that. But uh, the content's king, I think. Just make sure you've got a good idea and you're... And I think an edit's an important part of the process. Even if the edit is just listening back through it, mm. I think it's an important part of the process. My, uh, my, my day job, I write tweets for a living so i write um joke tweets for different brands oh, yeah. and uh the two things that everyone who anyone who wants to get into any social media stuff that i always say is like you said content is king but also um the currency online is attention and if you don't respect people's attention it's not gonna mm. go anywhere because you're yeah. you're just, people can switch off too easily i think that's true and i think my my plan to put a full episode of do the right thing on youtube may upload my face but yeah no i, I know you <laughs> no you're absolutely right you have to be a mindful of what people are gonna how people consume this stuff definitely yeah totally um do, do you read any books on podcasting or editing or stuff that you could recommend or obviously there's loads of stuff out there for free but if there's any uh, no i didn't i was sort of i mean my background way back is i did a music degree then i did a master's in audio production so i sort right. of learned it all as i did it right. but um what i would say is most editing software is probably fairly easy for me to say this but but i think it's true it's fairly intuitive really like I don't know, if you've ever played around with any video editors, you'll find a lot of that pretty transferable to an audio editor, really. You know, mm. the logic's fairly straightforward. Um, and I think... Just persevere with it. And, you know... Mm. I mean, I think for podcasting, anyway, you know... Um, so I use a thing called Pro Tools. Which can do, it's there for, like, pro band recordings and things. All I ever really do is, you know, arrange my audio in the timeline... I'll, I'll occasionally have a few different tracks if, for a particular edit and stuff, and I just run it through a bit of EQ, which is there to sort of filter out low rumbly noises and whatever room I'm in. Might, there might be a particular frequency that's grating, and, and EQ is a very, very simple tool to get to to use, actually, EQ. That's very intuitive and easy to fiddle with. I literally run it through that, then I run it through a compressor, which we just mm. talked about, and that's it. Uh, you know, I don't add any other effects. I'm not sort of, you know, so... Okay, it's still a mm. it's still a process there, but it's something you can get into quite quickly, I think. Yeah, totally. And uh, I have an indie guide. Anyone listening to this, I have an indie guide for starting a podcast, which you can find on my website at simonkane.co.uk, and you can find links to all the stuff that uh, Ben just mentioned at simonkane.co.uk forward slash ati forward slash Ben Walker. Um, and last question, huh. <laughs> just a quick plug. Why not? Um, just a very last quick question. What 
mistakes have you made along the way that you have learnt from that you would say to someone who wants to start a podcast or maybe who already has a podcast that maybe they could learn from because obviously the I find the more you do it the more you learn from these things but also the bigger the audience you have the more you kind of have this pressure to learn yep. as you go because there's more people listening to it so you're yep. more worried that it's going to go wrong so yeah what tips and advice would you give a couple of thousand comedians that are going to uh, listen to this probably quite sp- specific and i'll probably sound quite smug which is that both all the podcasts i've been involved with have evolved pretty organically and there's been no massive awkward turns along the way if you know what i mean i think uh we've simplified both of the panel shows slightly over time we've cut out bits that we didn't need to do anymore but i think that's just a natural process it's not it's not a you know I don't know. There are bits of Flatshare Slam now in which we don't do anymore because we did them and they were fun. Then we realised actually they get in the way of the fun of talking to the guests and things like that. So we did away with them. You know, it, it's. Um, uh, I think I'd be very wary of recording a podcast at a music festival ever again. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think that was. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if that's a lesson learned or not. I, I'm. I yeah. Certainly, recording in front of an audience. If you're doing different venues, try and make sure that your setup is either incredibly adaptable or that you've got some control over what's in the venue and things like that, or or you wrecky the venue and things like that. Because there's been a few gigs we've done where I have a fairly, as discussed, involved setup for the panel shows, and actually, you know, you can get to a venue and your heart can sink a little bit because you know it's not. Because you know you're not going to be able to get mics directly on the audience, or you know, do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, like the, I mean, the music festival one was m- partly because we recorded the show at one in the morning at a music festival, so you can imagine what state everyone was in. Uh, but also because, <clears throat> also because acoustically, uh, was it, in know, a tent it was in a massive tent, yeah, and so the 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 you can hardly really hear the audience in the podcast. And it feels a bit weak to sort of say the audience were enjoying it. Honest, I mean they were. <laughs> I mean they're off their faces. They, no, no, no. The audience were enjoying it. It could have been anything. But, but it was. Uh, but it. But the. But they're not. You don't necessarily get a huge sense of that with the mics, and I and I like that feeling of. I think you feel you're more in the audience if you're mm. here in the audience there slightly. Um, I can't think of any other. We've been incredibly lucky with the guests we've had. They've always seemed to have enjoyed it, and they've always been very giving with their time. <clears throat> giving with their time so that's fantastic that's not that's not a thing i regret damn it um i can't think of much else it could could just be general tips that you would have for anyone that because i mean i've got loads of friends that sort of say oh it's a really great idea for a podcast but i think it'd be take up too much time or or it would be you know too too much work or or you know it's too too much money to start or you know there's loads of these excuses that everyone comes up i probably did it for about a month before i started this one yeah um well i don't know I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I'm looking to delegate more with the podcasts I make because I think that would, I think, I think that would just ease the workload for me and also speed up the podcasts going out. But again, that's something you sort of probably reach. But if you, if there are people you know who you can buddy up with who can share some of the mm. burden, then that's well, burden's the wrong word. But you know what I mean? Share, share some <laughs> of the work. That would be good. Um, yeah, it's uh, any other tips. I mean, you know, don't let the 
the recorder's pretty simple to get hold of, right? It's not too expensive. If you can get hold of that or if you can borrow one or some, if you want to do a live one, some comedy venues now have the means, I think, to record within them. I don't know which ones they are, but I am told this is the case. Um, you know, just go and try it out. If you're not happy with the result, don't put it out. It's it's. There's no reason not to be going out and trying it. And I don't know if there's a... And there's loads of comedy podcasts out there because... Or loads of podcasts full stop out there because it's you know the means of production are in the hands of the people mm. um but that's no reason not to add yours to the uh to the mix sorry i don't have any more specific tips i think i came into it from quite a sort of weird position in terms of having been working in radio yeah. for so long and stuff like that and sort of my first taste of it being richard's mm-hmm. one but um uh yeah surround yourself by good people <laughs> well thank you very much for coming on yeah well no it's been a pleasure that was ben I really enjoyed that. It, I've just listened to it again, and I think it's just such an interesting... He's so interesting, and I just find the path that he's gone and, and his ethos of doing something because he was interested with the people he was working with and the project itself, and I, I just think that's just a great way to go into any project. It really says a lot about podcasting, and it really says a lot about the the energy and the communities around podcasts. That They're just people that want to make good stuff. I'm like that. I just want to make good stuff. And so it was really nice to meet another person who is into that. It was great. If you enjoyed this show and you got any value out of it whatsoever, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron from $1 an episode. ATP. It's really not that expensive. Um, It would be great if you could do that as we got into in the podcast. It really helps out with budgeting and future shows and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to repeat it. If you've got this far, I'm assuming you've listened to what was in the episode about that. If you can't afford to become a patron, a one-off donation would be great. This is episode 35. It's about 52 hours worth of content in total has come out now. And uh, obviously I've got new guests signed up. It would be really useful if you could support it in some way. If you can't do that, just share this with someone who you think would enjoy it. Honestly, that is also useful and helps out the show and helps out the community and helps build more audience for the show. In relation to this episode... I just want to let you know other guests that we have got coming on. We've also, I've spoken to Richard Herring, who is keen to come on, but not until next year. I've spoken to Stuart Goldsmith, who runs the Comedians Comedian podcast, and he's very excited to come on. I am talking to Helen Zaltzman, who runs the Answer Me This podcast that we talked about in this episode, and she's going to come on. And we're going to have great discussions about building great audiences around great content and what you can get out of it and why as Ben said, you would put so much time and effort into something that ultimately might get you no money in return and you and what you get in return. As a comedian who has done their fair share of unpaid gigs, I can tell you now that just because something doesn't pay immediately, it doesn't mean you don't get something out of it. If you're considering starting a podcast, do it. So thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for donating. I will see you next time. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.